And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And boys and girls, the semifinals are underway. Oh my goodness. Finally, we are here to the final four. And I say finally, even though this season, kiddies, is legitimately a shortened season in every facet of the world, and they're trying to jam playoff games together. And boy, oh boy, guys, I tell you, the first two games are in the books. But what was boring about that for any of you? Nothing for me here in the Kuehl Show. Tyler Kuehl here. But I tell you right now, there's a lot to look forward to. However, before we break down the first two games of the series, one between the Islanders and Tampa, the other, Vegas, Montreal, we must thank our awesome sponsors here on 12 Ounce Sports. But of course, as always, if you're watching us on 12 Ounce Sports, you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Zingo TV, Channel 761. If you want to jump on there, sign up for free. Get awesome access to all the great stuff on Zingo TV by using the promo code 12 ounce. That's the number one, the number two, the letter O, and the letter Z or Z for you improper English users. Yes, kids, we are doing a live show on Tuesday. The reason why it's on Tuesday is because, uh, well, uh, I was at Cedar Point this weekend. Boy, if you think listening to this program was a waste of time, how about sitting two and a half hours for each and every roller coaster there? Holy smokes. I get it. They're only operating five days out of the week. But it's two hours for every single ride. Unless you want to ride like little carnival rides, the ones that just go around like little tilt the worlds. But boy, that was a tough pill to swallow. Tough few, a few hundred dollars to swallow as well. But, like I said, before we get to all 12-ounce sports stuff, before that, we got to thank our sponsor on 12-ounce sports, which includes mybookie.ag down there in the corner. Guys, playoffs are going on for basketball and hockey. Baseball is going on. we got the Olympics coming up here soon. Get out there on mybookie.ag. Sign up using the promo code 12-ounce sports to get in there for free and win and get paid on mybookie.ag. And, of course, as always, up there in the corner, right there on the laptop, wearing the shirt and the swag today, secondstringleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. Guys, so much cool stuff you can get on there. Father's Day is coming up this Sunday. If you order now, it may or may not be able to get there to you. It probably will. You want to know why? Because the guys there, Joe and Zach, they get the stuff out to you quickly and spiffy on Second String Leather Company. You can get them a cool wallet for Father's Day. You can get them a cool bathroom bag for Father's Day. You can get them a cool T-shirt, one of these awesome T-shirts and more there, awesome swag. You can get them awesome keychains for their cars because I'm sure they, your dads all have hot rods or whatever. Some may still rock a minivan or an SUV, but I digress. Get on there, secondstringleather.com, hashtag, hashtag crafted from the crease. And, of course, as always, we can never forget to mention that we ourselves have some awesome swag here at TKS. Check out the Teespring Cool Show store, the official place where you can get official merchandise from the Cool Show, teespring.com slash store slash the Cool Show with a dash between the and cool and show. Of course, if you are checking out the replay of the Cool Show, whether it be your favorite podcatcher or on the Cool Show YouTube channel, the link is in the description. So, with that, what are we going to talk about today? Well, obviously, as it pertained to earlier, the playoffs. Or who is left of the playoffs, at least? Tampa and the Islanders. A series that has started inauspiciously for one, better for the other. Montreal versus Vegas. 
first game started well for one, didn't end well. The other, feeling good after 60 minutes of play. We'll also talk about some news that's going on around the league. A possible new coaching hire in the Big Apple. Boy, oh boy. Really kind of throws a wrench in the plans of the Seattle Kraken's coaching hunt for their new team, which is going to be coming around next season. So let's start off with the game last night. You know, I may be in the minority here, children. But did anyone else think that the Montreal Canadiens got out? played that badly in their 4-1 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's break down the game on how it happened. Crowd is bouncing there at T-Mobile Arena. They got the glow sticks. They got some guy that plays for the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, ramping up with the horn, the siren. I couldn't tell you his name. Couldn't tell you his name. Apparently, it's a big deal that he signed there or he plays there. I don't know. Las Vegas Raiders. They're in Vegas. They play on the Death Star, but that's about it. But the crowd's going crazy. And what happens? The Montreal Canadiens, who have had a few more days off than the Vegas Golden Knights. Don't forget, Montreal was the first team done with their series, despite the North Division starting the latest, both in rounds one and two. Montreal was the first team to move on to the semifinals. But Montreal came out and played well. LA's hung in there for the majority of the first period with the Vegas Golden Knights. That's exactly what they needed to do. They started off just the way they had to if they wanted a chance to win. Because if they let, I mean, the crowd, the energy there at T-Mobile Arena, that was going to drive the Golden Knights to victory. Even though Vegas has lost a couple times on home ice, but now with a packed barn, it's almost impossible to lose there, right? Well, for a few minutes there, it looked like Montreal was going to jump out in front. Marc-Andre Fleury had to make a couple of big saves, made a good kick save there on Josh Anderson had to rip off Brendan Gallagher's helmet to let him what's up. But I can tell you, that's exactly how Montreal needed to start the game. The problem was, it didn't last as long as they would have hoped. A goal by Shea Theodore towards the end of the period. A beautiful one-timer from the point that Carey Price didn't see at all. That made it one nothing, And then you had the goal by Alec Martinez on the beautiful fake by Shea Theodore. Uh, just a perfect fake he said up here, like, I'm going to clap this sucker into the next psych. I'm just going to pass it over to a wide open guy. You know, the second period certainly did not go by way of the Montreal Canadiens. I believe shots were 13 to 5 in that second period in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. And you know what? That's what happens when a team gets going like that in Montreal, who we'll get, we'll get to in a second, a little bit short there on the back end. I, I look back at that goal and I see one of two things because. Carey Price was playing fantastic. Let's let's not knock that at all. Yes, the record only says 26 saves. Yes, the record says four goals against. How badly did Carey Price play last night? Seriously, someone tell me this. How bad did Carey Price play last night? People have come back and forth on all the goals that have gone in and say, which one could he have had? The only one that I really think he could have had, dare I say it, and this is not a knock on Shea Theodore, but it's the goal by Alec Martinez. Shea Theodore winds up. Carey Price comes flying out of the net. He's going to challenge him like it's 1982. And unfortunately, Martinez is sitting over there, hanging out probably somewhere off of California, off the highway, and he's ready for a one-timer all by himself. Uh, this is the one thing I say about Price, who played fantastic. We'll get to the wink here in a second. But he challenges the shot, which you should as a goaltender from the point 
However, he was not aware of the fact that there was a guy back door. Yes, was he was he not covered? Was anyone on him? No. And is that a problem with the Montreal's defense breakdown? Absolutely. However, as a goaltender, you got to check your mirrors and you got to see that. You got to see that Alec Martinez is sitting there. I'm like, man, this is a wide open net. I can't miss this, right? Well, he didn't. Despite Carey Price almost getting there with the paddle diving across, that was the only one I think that he could have had back, just on the basis of maybe overplaying the initial shot attempt by Theodore. Great fake, beautiful feed, set him right in the sweet spot, one-timer, 2 nothing Knights early in period two. But we go on. Yes, Vegas is playing him hard or playing him tough. Carey Price makes that great save on Mark Stone and gives him the Patrick Wall wink. Oh, man, as soon as I saw that, I was like, man I love I, I first of all I'm a big hockey story and I still think the Patrick Wall wink is one of the most the most confident cocky whatever you want to call it move in the history of sport I don't care about his quote he made to Jeremy Roenick with the rings plugging his ears the wink he makes on Tomas Anderson or yeah Tomas Sandstrom no Tomas Anderson right Tomas Sam now I gotta look it up Tomas Sand Sand Tomas Sandstrom there we go of the law <laughs> I'm like, Sanderson, the guy that won it with Detroit in 97, Tomas Sandstrom, the wink he gives to him in the 93 final is the most badass thing I've ever seen in the history of sport. I am sorry. There are some great plays by in other sports, but maybe in terms of hockey, at least just the like, you know, you're good when you can just take the time during the finals against a team that was the best in the Campbell conference that time, the West. He just looks over and says, yeah, hey, buddy, hey, give him a wink as he skates by your net. It's still the coolest thing ever. Carey Price went to Mark Stone. Big save. At that point, it was still a really good hockey game, and it was made even closer when Cole Caulfield gets his first goal in the playoffs, first goal of his playoff career. The rookie, the Hobie Baker Award winner this year, made it 2-1 on a beautiful rebound finish, and you thought to yourself, all right, Montreal's still in this. They're getting their teeth kicked in here in this period, but it's only 2-1. However, Things change as the game goes on. Alex Tuck sits there at the point. He's like, I'm going to shoot this thing. Psych, I'm going to slap pass it across. Matthias Janmark is just sitting there and like, I don't know, I'm tied up. Oh, it went off my stick. It's in the net. And there you go. Matthias Janmark, his fourth goal of the playoffs. One of the unsung heroes with this Vegas Gold Knights team. And it's 3-1 after two. It, it just seemed like that... Had Montreal scored first in this hockey game, we're having a much different discussion on how this series is after one game. Because if Montreal can shut the crowd up with a goal in that first period when they really started to, at points, take it to the Vegas Golden Knights, I think this first game could be a different outcome. However, Vegas, I don't want to say the word survived on their home ice, but they got through that first 10 minutes of that first period unscathed and they were able to take control of the game from there, you could tell that that's where the veteran presence in and a team that is superbly focused on getting the job done this year doesn't want to have any failures, doesn't want to falter at all. They were able to keep things calm. Of course, it helps when Mark Andre Fleury is playing phenomenal. Dare I say it? Dare I use Alex's own words against him? 28 saves for Flower, made some big stops. Third Perry comes around. Nick Holden gets a goal. Three, yes, I know, three defenseman goals for Vegas. Doesn't look good on paper, but. Not much Kerry could have done on that one either, his second of the postseason. 
at that point, the shots were pretty lopsided. Montreal made a little bit even towards the end. Their shots ended up being 30 to 29 in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights, mainly because the last five minutes, I believe Montreal had, what, six or seven shots to make it a little bit closer, a little bit more respectable. Couldn't get it in the back of the net. Flurry made some big saves, and Montreal falls 4-1 in game one. I don't think Montreal played a bad game. I just don't think they've played the game they need to play if they want to win. The start was great. They showed that, you know what, the rust may not have all been there. But Vegas started to take control of the game. They didn't allow Montreal too many grade-A chances as the game went on, especially when you control the puck in the second period. Vegas is not a hockey team that's going to give up that many chances. They can play the run-and-gun style, but they have learned that they can back her down and slow the game down to their speed. That's what's so important in a series like this against a, I, I, I don't want to use the words young and spry with Montreal because while they do have kids like Suzuki, Caulfield, they have some elder guys like your Shea Webbers, your Carey Price, Brendan Gallagher, some guys that have been there for a moment or two. How about the hit though by, uh, by Romanov last night on Alex Petrangelo? Talk about a confident body check. Romanov's coming back on the back check. Here comes Petrangelo. I'm going to get around this kid, even though he's the defenseman. And just gets gets his lunch fed to him. I mean, that's that. Those were those moments they thought, man, Montreal's in this hockey game. Montreal is not to be taken lightly. And yes, Pete DeBoer came out and said, "Listen, guys, Montreal cannot be a team. Is not a team that we can take lightly." And you know what? That that's mo- both a mixture of playing the game during interviews as a coach, but also saying, "Hey, listen, any team can beat us." Montreal beat the best team in the North Division, a team that literally up until I think the second or third to last day of the regular season had a chance to be a President's Trophy winner. Then they go up against the Winnipeg Jets, who had just shut down and beat the best offense in the league, one of the best offenses in the league, and swept them in four games. Now everyone's going, oh, see, kids, the North Division sucks. It is horrendous. It is awful. There is no good hockey up there. It's all a mirage. Well, you know what? If Montreal gets swept in, let's go at, we'll say, we'll have that conversation then. But until then, let's look at game two tomorrow night. What does Montreal have to do to get back in this? Now, yes, the loss, the absence, excuse me, of Jeff Petrie, completely detrimental to Montreal. He's always been the guy, if you don't watch Montreal often, you don't think of Jeff Petrie as being the guy. You think it's Shea Weber. You think it's Joel Edmondson. No. Neither. Jeff Petrie is arguably the best defenseman on the Montreal Canadiens. Unfortunately, got a little bit banged up there, and thankfully that series went only four games for the Winnipeg Jets, so they didn't have to force Petrie to go back into that lineup for that series. However, he was not there for game one last night, and it ended up really showing because you could tell the youngsters from Montreal were not able to keep up with the veteran and more experienced offensive attack coming from the Vegas Golden Knights. Their speed is so... Hard to grasp sometimes that if you are not capable, that's why I look at Minnesota and I say to myself, if Minnesota had a little bit more left in the tank, they could be in that situation in the semifinals. Because I was talking with Eric Pesolano from Believe in the Abs podcast. Minnesota could have beaten Colorado pretty easily had they just won game seven. They forced the Vegas Golden Knights to seven games and and I say, and I said this, guys, it was a six-game series against Colorado between Vegas and the Avs. 
game one was 40, less than 48 hours after game seven. Game two, they got bit by a bad call at Vegas, even though they dominated half of that game. And then they just completely dismantled Colorado the final four. So for five and a half games of a six-game series, or we'll say four and a half games of a six-game series, it was all Vegas. But Minnesota have found a way to limit the Vegas Gold Knights. Yes, they ended up losing in the end, but they were able to force that to a seven-game series where you really thought that going into that game, despite being at T-Mobile Arena, Minnesota had a chance. Now, can Montreal do that? Can Montreal find a way to slow down the attack? Jeff Patry being out of the lineup makes it very, very difficult. Right now, Petrie, they're the when he's coming back is up in the air. Everyone's hoping it's sooner than later. At least everyone in Habsland is hoping. So you can only, only hope. Right now, Petrie is a game time decision for tomorrow night's game two. And some people say, well, why not wait for him to possibly play in game three at home? The reason why is you want to give yourself a chance to play, to win two games. Like if you need him in the lineup for game two in Vegas, because if you don't, Montreal loses game two and say you split in Montreal, you're not winning game five at T-Mobile arena. That's the long and the short of it. Patriots in the lineup, 85%. That gives you a much better chance of winning in Vegas in game two and then if you can somehow take away home ice advantage in a series like this, where Vegas will have the home ice advantage because they're going to have more fans than Montreal. As of right now, it's still 2,500 capacity limit there at Saint-Tribel. I really, really think that you need to give your team the best chance to win on the road. Because it's easy that Vegas can win one of two in Montreal. If you can find a way to split on the, ro- uh, on the road... Do everything you can. Carey Price will obviously have to be big again. And if you're Montreal, you just got to find a way to slow down the momentum and when Vegas really gets that ball rolling, find a way to just calm the game down and play to their strengths. Now, I'm not saying it worked against Matthews and Marner and Elander. It's going to work against Vegas. I'm not saying that. But I think now that you've played one game and it's kind of under your belt now, don't forget this is the first time this franchise has been to the conference finals or the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs since 2014. Carey Price, I believe Jeff Petrie was on that team. I'm I'm trying to think of Gallagher was there. There was not a whole lot of people, not a whole lot of players. Mark Bergeron was still the GM. But there was not many members of this team now that were on that 2014 team. So I think for a lot of these kids, I mean, yeah, Cole Caulfield's right now saying, sweet, this happened every year, guys. We get it to the semifinals. No, Cole, this is not how it works. The National Hockey League is not that easy. But that's what these guys got to learn. They got to learn to play tough hockey. And you need all hands on deck and everyone playing to the tee. Price? He knock on wood, he just he looks calm in net. It was still a two-goal deficit, and he was getting just bombarded in that second period. Yeah, he gave up a couple, but 
he still looked good. He still played well. He was still making some big saves, good-looking saves, confident saves. He'll come back in game two. The team in front of him is where the big question is. Can they stop the Vegas Golden Knights? And can they take better? Can they take advantage of their opportunities? They put 12 shots on goal on Marc-Andre Fleury in that first period. If they score one of those, this is a whole different kit and caboodle. So, I, you know, game two tomorrow night in Vegas, if Petrie's in the lineup, I think Montreal has a better chance to win. I'm not saying that the Habs are not going to win if Petrie's not in the lineup for game two tomorrow night. I just find it a lot less likely that they're going to go to back to Montreal at a 1-1 series tie if he's not in the lineup. That's what I'm going on that. We're going to go to a break here just a couple minutes, folks. We're actually going to jump on Instagram Live here as well to preview tonight's game, Tampa and Islanders game two. Let's get to some other news, though. A lot of stuff going on over the past weekend. First one, the big news, Gerard Gallant, Gerard Gallant, going to be, word is, pardon me, he's going to be the next head coach for the New York Rangers. Wow. This one came out of nowhere. I was at Cedar Point, of course, like I mentioned over the weekend, and I was looking at my phone, and all of a sudden, Gallant to become next coach of the Rangers. And I'm like, really? That's the guy? At least it gets rid of any of the rumors of a possible John Tortorella Part 2. Larry Brooks is probably thanking his stars there. But let me tell you, this is an interesting move. And obviously, you know, Chris Drury is trying to find the right guy. And Gallant right now is seemingly like the best prospect, or at least out of all the coaches that were fired after the regular season or coaches that are out of a job, Gallant seems to be the best fit. Now, what has Gallant done since he was fired from the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, it, everyone was pointing to the finger of the fact that he was going to be the guy for the Seattle Kraken. And to that point, I like to think that he's actually a pretty solid choice for that. Because, not just because he had done it before, but also because of the fact that he is good enough to, he's good enough to show that he can be the guy to lead in a brand new hockey club. And he did a good job in Florida, just really wasn't given the runway to do so. So now you're looking at a possibility of a coach taking over a mixture of younger and more veteran components. You have guys that need some development, Alexi Lafreniere, Capo, Capo Caco. And of course, you have guys that are slowly establishing themselves. Mika Zibanejad showing that he's a big scorer in this league. He has Artemi Panarin. In his wings, he'll come back at full health next year. You have a Norris candidate and Adam Fox. There is a good group of players here, and you have two goaltenders, Alexander Georgiev and Igor Shosturkin, who are slowly coming into their own, and if you can continue to grow those two, that could be one of the best tandems in the league in the coming years. Now, I'm not saying the Rangers are going to be a contender next year, but how can you not look at this team and say, you know what, Boston's kind of tailing off, and who knows what the Islanders and are the Capitals and Penguins done? I don't know, but it would be it would be wise to say that the Rangers are certainly going to be in the thick of it next year, you think, right? Because this year was a full mixture of off-ice problems galore and ownership issues and Tony D'Angelo. So you think, all right, now this is all swept away. Brand new year, brand new coach, brand new GM. Glenn Sather's still there, but I digress. There is a sense of a new with this Rangers team, which doesn't happen often. 
from New York. They keep trying to do this retool thing. They were supposed to be on a rebuild, but all of a sudden they're good again, or at least decent enough to be competitive again. What is it going to be in the future for the Rangers? Gallant being the head coach, a guy that shows he can win no matter what cards he's been dealt. He was able to take that St. John's program up there, who is abysmal now, to a Memorial Cup years ago. Remember Tomas Yurko? Yeah, he was on that team. Johnny Huberdeau was on that team. He was a pretty good hockey player. Still is. So good move by the Rangers to get a, an established head coach to lead this possibly slowly becoming established team there in the what's going to be the revamped Metro Division next year because they're going to go back to normal in the 21-22 season. Pecorine, we have an award winner. Pecorine winning the King Clancy Award, which best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in their community. That's what he did. Pecorini, of course, a great guy for Hockey Fights Cancer, does stuff with the Best Buddies program down there in Nashville, does a lot of stuff with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, a great guy. I'm not going to get too much on the hockey side, but it is kind of a bummer because all signs are pointing that this was his last year in Smashville. But still, great guy. You know, he's he he's one of those guys that's so so approachable. Despite him being six foot four, six foot five, big tall dude. From what I've been told from people, a guy that's very, you know, outgoing and willing to help. And he actually started when he was he was a um, big thing with the hockey fights cancer. Started doing that with Shea Weber back when Weber was a part of the Predators. And he, it's only just blossomed into more and more. And it's if if he hangs him up or if he goes somewhere else, he's going to have a home back in Nashville. Not just because of the fact that he's been with the franchise for so long, but the community loves him. Fans will always love him down there in Nashville, and it's good to see Pecorino be recognized for his efforts with the King Clancy Award. And, of course, some other news. I think some big news here. Uh, the draft order has pretty much been set. Now, yes, the final four need to be figured out based on how they do here in the next round and two, but the big news coming out of the past week on how the draft may go, Owen Power the pretty much unanimous number one overall pick across the boards of all the experts, draft experts, draft analysts, says he may stay in Ann Arbor for the University of Michigan for another season. Now, for us Maize and Blue fans, this is awesome. For all those that, you know, the first overall pick, I'm looking at you, Buffalo. What do you do? It's such a hard thing to try to figure out because Owen Power is a dominant force. A dominant force at the collegiate level. He's shown that he can be the guy for an NHL team. He was on NHL Now on NHL Network last week, and he said that he's considering staying at Michigan for another season. Now, let me quick look this up here because for some reason I didn't feel like looking it up because I'm an idiot. Do-do-do-do. Owen Power was... Let me see... He was a, oh yeah, this was fr- so this was his freshman season. Okay, that's right. He was a freshman, did not play for the World Junior team, even though he was invited to the World Junior camp. He'll be a sophomore next year. It's one of those things that, I'll get to my tin hat moment here in a second, but Owen Power's so good, it's because Dylan Larkin and Jacob Truebolt did it at Michigan. They play for a season or two, and they go to the NHL and never look back. 
I don't think this is a people. Some people have said to me, oh, this is because he wants to go to school. He's not going to spend all four years at Michigan, guys. He's not a Luke Glendanning who pretty much had to work his way to become a full-time NHLer. Owen Power is ready to be an NHL hockey player. And that's why this makes this so interesting. So Buffalo is the first overall pick. Do you think, do you think that the reason why Owen Power came out and said that he may consider going back to college is because Buffalo is the number one pick? I on, You honestly have to think about that, guys. Now, there's a lot of word that Matty Benares, his teammate there at Michigan, may go number two, the Seattle Kraken. However, if Buffalo has it in the back of their mind that Owen Power is going to college next year, do they pass that up for Matty Benares, who may go to the NHL next year, or who could be ready to go to the NHL next year? It's something to really think about because he's so good. Both of them, Benares and Power. But Power is so good, he could play in the NHL tomorrow. However, do you think he just does not want to play for Buffalo? Like I said, this may be a tinfoil hat thing I got going here, kids, but remember the whole thing? There was the deal with Trevor Lawrence saying he may want to stay another year in college, but that was when the New York Jets were in last place. Jacksonville took over, and he's going to the draft. Going to play for the Jaguars. The Jaguars. If, say, the Anaheim Ducks were the first overall pick or the New Jersey Devils or the Columbus Blue Jackets, of course, then again, Columbus, I think they had fired John Tortorella at that point. But anyways, no, sorry, not fired Tortorella, parted ways. If there were any other team than the Buffalo Sabres, would Owen Power have come out and said that he's considering staying in college for another year and waiting to see... Because technically, I believe he could. I know this. Don't quote me on this, but I think he could just re-enter next year if he were not to be picked. Now, I think I don't know. That's not me saying that he's not going to get picked this year, even if he doesn't get picked first overall. Someone's going to take Owen Power, hold on to his rights, and hope he comes to their team when he was good and ready to come out of Michigan. But if it were the San Jose Sharks that were the first overall pick, or even the Vancouver Canucks where he could literally play with Quinn Hughes, <laughs> would he do it? Now, yes, they obviously they never played together at Michigan, but it's you know just the Michigan connections there. I it's really it's really something to think about. He is such a talented player and is probably going to be the number one overall pick. And then of course, even if he does. If he officially makes the move to stay at Michigan and Buffalo takes him, do we have an Eric Lindros scenario? Now, granted that Eric Lindros made it clear he did not want to play for the Quebec Nordique. Eli Manning said he was not going to go to the San Diego Chargers when he was drafted in 04. Do we have a scenario where Owen Power is not quite coming out and saying that he's not going to play for the Buffalo Sabres, but he clearly doesn't want to if he'd rather go back to college for another year than play in the National Hockey League for one of the worst franchises right now in sports. That is so terrifying to know. And that's just how the the sporting world is nowadays. We've talked about this in the past with contracts and RFAs, but it also pertains to college kids. Adam Fox and Jimmy Vesey. Adam Fox was supposed to play in Carolina. Jimmy Vesey was supposed to be in Nashville. 
both held out, both got contracts with the New York Rangers. Now, that's not saying that if Owen Power to be drafted by Buffalo, that he'd hold out and he'd go to the New York Rangers. I mean, that could happen. I mean, it's one of the teams in the National Hockey League. But it makes you think, does Owen Power just not want to play for the Buffalo Sabres? Just something to think about there. And a quick rundown here before we take a break. The Let's go over the draft order. So, because the first 15 were released, and then obviously I had to figure out after the playoffs. So, Buffalo 1, Seattle 2, Anaheim, New Jersey, Columbus, Detroit, San Jose, Los Angeles, Vancouver, Ottawa is your top 10. Ottawa sitting 10th. Because unfortunately, this had to get good after that abysmal first month of the year. Chicago's 11th, Calgary 12, Philly 13, Dallas 14, the Rangers 15. Now, after the playoffs have gone, because obviously, remember, it's after points with the playoffs, not not finish, at least through the first four, at least they'll pass before the final four. Nashville is actually 18, St. Louis 16, Winnipeg 17, because they finished third, Nashville 18, Edmonton 19, Boston 20, Minnesota 21, Detroit from the Washington Capitals in the Anthony Mantha deal, they get the 22nd overall pick, Florida's 23rd, Columbus gets Toronto's pick at 24, because that was in the Nick Foligno deal, Minnesota from Pittsburgh gets 25, Carolina 26, Colorado 27. Now, the way it works for the final four, 28th is going to be the semifinal team with the fewest points. So if Vegas were to win, it'd be Montreal. If it were to be the Islanders, it wouldn't be them, possibly. If Montreal were able to move on, blah, blah, blah. Because right now, the way it goes is Vegas is one, Montreal's four, two is Tampa, three is the Islanders. And so 28 and 29 will be the semifinal loser with the most points. And then 31 is the obvious, obviously the Stanley Cup champion. 30 is the Stanley Cup losing team. Now, let's just, before we quickly go to break here, Let's just see if any of those picks would fly away. Da, 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 da. Let's see, let's see, let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to find the teams here in the final four. Islanders, here we go. Islanders do not have their first overall pick, so the Islanders' first pick is going to be going to the New Jersey Devils, which was part of the Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac trade. So that pick... It currently says New York Islanders number 30 for this coming year's draft, but that's obviously pertaining to the fact that they make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But whatever pick that go- would be, wherever the Islanders finish, that'll be to the New Jersey Devils. Let's quick click back here to the next team, which is Tampa. Tampa is, does not have their pick because they traded that away at the deadline. That was part of the deal that got David Savard from Detroit because Detroit got David Savard from from Columbus and blah, blah, blah. That would actually pick go to Columbus. So Columbus, as of right now, actually has three first-round draft picks no matter what. That's good for the Blue Jackets. Let's move on over now to, let's see, let's find the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas does have their first overall pick right now. So they're, as of right now, one of the only teams that has it, Montreal. Um, bum, 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 bum. They also do. So Vegas and Montreal each have their first round pick. New York's goes to New Jersey. Tampa's goes to Columbus. So Columbus, three first round picks this year, guys. I know they're not the not as bad as they seem. They've had a really bad year this year. But hey, you know what? You get a couple players this first round. You may be retooling in a year or two. So with that, though, let's take a quick pause here. When we come back, we'll get you all set for tonight's game between those New York Islanders and Tampa Bay. We'll look back at game one and look back and remember how that one went. 
A little bit of a tight game down there at Amelie Arena. It'll be a fun one tonight for sure. 8 o'clock puck drop on that one. 20-some-odd minutes left here in the Kula Show. We'll be back, though, with more here on 12-Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Kula Show, everyone. Tyler Kula here on this odd Tuesday edition of TKS. Coming up here in about 20 minutes' time, more 12, more awesome programming here on 12-Ounce Sports, The Burn with Mitch Bernstein. And then coming up later tonight, the Captain Lou Extravaganza with Captain Lou Gamelin, who is in the Instagram Live chat right now, or is in the watching on Instagram Live. That's why if I look down at all, please don't panic. I'm not just staring at my awesome Toronto Maple Leafs service I got going here. It's just because I want to make sure I get everyone involved. My buddy Tyler's on there now. Davenport D3 Hockey is watching. So thank you all for tuning in there, and you as well on 12 Ounce Sports. So let's get to the big game we got tonight. Game two down at Amelie Arena. Tampa and the Islanders. Game one in the books. That was the first semifinal game we had. And, you know, it was the perfect game if you were one team, not so much the other. The New York Islanders win game one, two to one. Excuse me, I had a, had a burp there. It's watching that game back. I say to myself, Barry Trotz went in there and said, we're going to do one thing and one thing only, and that's make Tampa miserable. How many times have we seen Tampa just look completely out of sorts offensively? Really doesn't happen. It rarely happens. Now, here was the thing. When I was doing my research for this series, I thought Tampa's got this great offense. They got Kucherov, who leads the entire postseason in points, even though he didn't play the entire regular season. They got Stamkos, Braden Point, who scored his ninth goal there in game one. They got to have the most goals, right? Uh, kids, I was uh, wrong, and by that I mean greatly wrong. The New York Islanders... This team that we talk about as this defensive juggernaut and Barry Trotz-laden team, it's so funny. They have the most goals for in the playoffs. Heading into the semifinals, they had 43 goals, which was more than the Vegas Golden Knights, who now have 44, but only had 40 after two rounds. The New York Islanders, the New York Islanders guys, who have... One uh, who have this mantra of being a defensive stalwart. They have this defense ran by Barry Trotz, who doesn't let anyone buy. It's old school defensive hockey. Two goaltenders that can stop everything. They don't need to score seven or eight goals in a hockey game. Yet they have had more goals. Now, granted, yes, they have played one more game than the Tampa Bay Lightning. So through 13 games, the Islanders now have 45 goals, which is 3.46 per game. Tampa, though, in one less game, they have 39, an average of 3.25, which is not even the best goals for per game in the playoffs. That actually goes to the Colorado Avalanche, but that's because they only played 10 games, albeit. But in 13 games, with the second best goals for, that goes to the New York Islanders. It's so incredible that we always talk about how good this defensive team is and how truculent they are and how tough they are and how they're almost impossible to beat. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? It's so, it's funny because I watch them and I think this team is good, but they have this offensive talent. We talk about Barzell and we talk about guys like Brock Nelson and Tom and Bailey, and they have all these tools that they can use offensively. And you know what? They can score. Dare I say... 
this is going to get a few people going crazy. The New York Islanders are today are like the New York Islanders that used to win all the time back in the 80s. The teams of Bossy, Trottier up front, but also guys like Denny Potvin and Tonelli on the back end. And nice from that could play tough. And goaltenders like Billy Smith. They had a second goaltender, but I couldn't tell you who the heck he was because that was the only guy that ever played. Yet, sorry, the camera shook. That's because I bumped the table. So this New York Islanders team, they they had the ability to get a scoring touch, and they did because the first period of game one was bonkers. Shots were 14 to 11. There were 25 shots on goal in the first period, 14 for New York, 11 for Tampa, and nobody scored. Now, that's just because Simeon Varlamov is getting back to form and showing that he, why he became the number one goaltender last year with the Islanders. And, of course, Tampa has the Vesna, the eventual Vesna Trophy winner in Andre Vasilevsky. We go to period two, and game slows down a little bit, and nerves kind of set precedent. They go off to the wayside, and the game starts to calm down and starts to get into a good flow. And that's when Matthew Barzell says, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. The reason why we don't need John Tavares here in New York anymore, I'm just going to take this puck down the wing, drag it around, and sneak it through Andre Vasilevsky. Fourth goal of the playoffs for Barzell breaks the deadlock. It's one nothing after two. And you really thought to yourself, yeah, it's a one-goal game, but Tampa's got this. The home crowd there in Tampa and Amelie Arena, they're going to bring this team to life, and the offense is going to start clicking any moment now. Any moment now. Uh, didn't quite happen for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it kind of helped out Ryan Pulak's goal in the second, in the third period, excuse me. What actually is his fourth goal of the playoffs. Now, Pulak is a great offensive weapon, but I didn't realize he had four goals. He did have the empty netter there to cash things in against Boston in round two. But his his slap shot goal in the third period, some people say it was a bomb. It, it was a good hard shot, but Andre Vasilevsky is the kind of goaltender that can make that save. So I look at it as that's one that Vaz should have had, but he still played a really good game, 29 saves, and it just didn't help that his their offense, Tampa's offense in front of him, couldn't get going. Brain Point does get his ninth goal in the third period. Makes it interesting. Tampa has a flurry late, but Semyon Varlamov shuts the door. 30 saves for the Russian netminer. It's a battle of the Russian goaltenders in this series, which is going to be a fun one to watch. Yet, the Islanders hold on. Now, a lot of people are going full scale. Yes, the New York Islanders are the greatest thing ever now, just because they win one game in this series. Now, I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm not saying this team's not worth it, but it's funny how... You know, people from around the game are finally coming around. The Islanders are a really good hockey team because they thought last year it's a mirage. Who do the Islanders have to beat to get there? Let's be honest. They beat Philly in round two. They weren't that good. They had to beat Florida in the qualifying round. They weren't that good. They had to beat. They beat Washington in the first round. Of course, the Washington team that was the reason why they thought it was easy because there were accusations that Washington was mostly hung over for that first round during the bubble last year. So this New York Islanders team is nothing. They'll go back next year. See, look, guys, they finished fourth in this East division. Yeah, it's a tough division, but they finished behind Boston, who slouched down the stretch, and they were getting beaten up by Pittsburgh and Washington, and they were losing games to Philly. This Islanders team is nothing. They got they are no way they're going to do well in the playoffs. They got the division-leading Pittsburgh Penguins, and Pittsburgh's on fire. Oh, wait, they beat them. Well, See, the Islanders beat Pittsburgh because Tristan Jari choked. Well, yes, okay, to your point, but they scored a few more goals, and they shut down Sidney Crosby, and they held off Evgeny Malkin, and they held off all the other big guns 
for the most part for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But you know what? The goaltender played bad. New York's still not that good. They got the Boston Bruins. They were able to quick make quick work of the Washington Capitals, one of the best offenses. They got the perfection line going. Tuka Rask is up to par. Oh, but they still beat him. All right. Well, that's okay. That's kind of weird. Ah, oh, but see, Tuka Rask was injured, and the defense was banged up. See, they can't be that good. All right. Well, they go out there, and they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one, and anyone find anything wrong with Tampa yet? Knock on wood. Okay, well, it's one nothing right now. Hi, Cody Jansen. How you doing there? Good to see you. So, are people going to take New York seriously now? Now, granted, yes, as the same thing pertains to the Montreal Canadiens and the North Division being weak, it was only one game. Game two tonight. But the Islanders have shown that they can play their way and they can make their opponent play their game. If they can force, if the Highlanders can force the Tampa Bay Lightning to try to play a tough, grinded out game, while Tampa can do that, they've shown that, are the Islanders just better and able to do it more efficiently? That right there is going to be something that is really fun to watch because the Islanders have that touch. They have Kyle Palmieri, who is one of the top five scorers, goal scorers now. In these playoffs, they have one of the best goaltenders, Semyon Varlamov. They have a darn good backup in Ilya Sorokin. If they need to, for some reason, turn to him. That's what I say with Tampa. What are you going to do? You're going to go throw in Curtis McElhenney if something happens to Vasilevsky? No, he's your he is your breadwinner. He's your golden ticket. It just seems like after that first game, the Islanders were able to play their style of hockey. They played the way they wanted to play, and. New Tampa tried to combat it with, you know, a similar side. They tried to beat New York at their own game and it just didn't work. I want to see now what happens tonight because if Tampa, now Tampa may just be absolutely playing pissed off tonight and go full on through the Islanders and win this game six, nothing. And everything you watched and heard here today is complete malarkey yet. The Islanders can do it again and go back to Nassau Coliseum, which is going to be, Literally tearing the roof off that place. Up 2-0. Is Tampa going to get knocked out here? Yes, I knock on this wooden table because I don't want to do that to the Islanders. Chris King's a good friend on the show. Great guy. Fun guy to talk about. Next time we have him on, we're going to do a seven-hour show because we're going to talk about the Mike Milbury era. I don't know if that's actually true or not. But regardless... Islanders have a shot here, guys. The thing, though, on the other side of looking at, oh, what's wrong with Tampa? If Tampa, Tampa's offense will be there, they'll have a couple games. They're not, this series ain't over. Let's be honest here. It's just one game. The tough part now for the Islanders, though, is to do it again and again and again to get to four wins because that's what you need to make it through the next round for those that did not know that. If they can come out with that same kind of effort for the full 60 that they did in game one, it's so hard to beat this team. That's why I think the 2019 edition of Islanders, the ones that got swept by Carolina, I just think they were just so overwhelmed that they beat Pittsburgh that year in the first round when they were heavily outmatched. Robin Leonard steals the show. And, man, I'm like, wow, we can't believe we won a series. And they just had nothing left because they put all their energy into that first-round series. So then this year, or last year, excuse me, they make it through on one. They beat Washington, beat Barry Trotz's old team. 
They beat Philadelphia, who at that time was one of the best teams, and Philadelphia that year was actually really good. They were not the Philadelphia Flyers you saw this season. They were the second-best team in that Metro division, hands down. Probably could have been the best. But they just didn't have enough in the tank to go up against a Tampa Bay team, albeit that was destined to win last year, because I said so. They just didn't have enough. Now, is this the year that they can take that next step and make it to the finals? They played the perfect game. They did exactly what they needed to do in game one. I believe that this team has the ability, the experience, the head coach, the goaltender, the defense, and the players up front to do it again. Now, I'm pretty sure being in a one-goal game with Tampa is not fun, so I'm pretty sure they're going to want a little more insurance, but they, if they can shut down the big guns like they did last night for the pretty much the majority of the hockey game, how can you not favor the Islanders in this series? We'll just have to wait and see. So it's going to be a fun one tonight. 8 o'clock puck drop on whichever you watch, whether you were in Canada watching CBC or Sportsnet, down here in the States on NBC Sports Network. I'm excited for this game. Tampa, if if Tampa scores first in the first period, this is a whole different kit and caboodle. Tampa may get off and running. That's going to be terrifying if you're an Islanders fan. If this first period of tonight's game goes scoreless again, how are you not feeling confident if you live on Long Island? You love the fact that you can't or that you don't allow Tampa to score and get their offense going because that's when they get really dangerous. As soon as their power play starts running around, and that's another thing too. And I'm going to say this, and I know I'm going to totally jinx it tonight, but if the Islanders can stay out of the box again and not allow Tampa any offensive opportunities with the power play, that right there is going to be a huge part of the game. I didn't quite check the power play numbers here. Let me hit team stats. Tampa went one for two. So they gave him two chances. That one goal by Braden Point late in regulation was their one power play goal. Islanders went 0 for three. You need to make sure that you just play smart. And I'm sure that's what Trotz did. Trotz went in there and said, guys, don't do anything stupid. Matt Martin, I love you. Clutterbuck, I love you. Guys, don't do anything stupid. Because while you can play tough, you can play aggressive, you can play in their face. If you give that team too many chances, if they get four or five power play opportunities, it's going to be a long night for the New York Islanders. So that is it for today's show, folks. Quick turnaround back on Thursday. We got a special guest we're going to announce here soon. If you want to know when we're going to announce it or how we're going to announce it, be sure to follow us at The Cool Show, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on there. We'll be back to our normal 6 o'clock start time on Thursday. Reason why we had to do five o'clock today is because, well, a uh, very busy Tuesday night here on 12 Ounce Sports. Like I said, coming up next, the burn with Mitch Bernstein at six o'clock, and then the Lou, Captain Lou Extravaganza with Lou Gamlin coming up at eight o'clock tonight, Eastern Time. So, with that, I'm Tyler Kuhl saying thank you all very much for watching this lovely edition of the Kuhl Show. Always love talking to you guys, as always. We'll be back Monday as well, our normal Monday show. I know everyone's like, oh, Tyler, when are you going to go back to Mondays? I, I know think the schedule's been a lot of wonky. I've got a lot of stuff going on here, guys. I do apologize. But we will be back to our normal Monday night show as well next Monday, Thursday, 6 o'clock, Monday, 6 o'clock as well. But I'm Tyler Kuehl. You can follow me at TJKU29 on Twitter and Instagram. But with that, I'm going to say goodbye because I have to because I'm going to go eat some good food. Kelly's making stir-fry tonight. Anyways, I'll see you next time on the Kilo Show here on 12 on Sports. Goodbye!